as I was saying, I'm very encouraged every time you call me back. Believe me, you encourage me all the time, and I'm very grateful to you. Today we have a familiar passage, but if I have my will, this passage can be preached as many times as possible because it's central to our faith. It is Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. It reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, and listen to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with men and serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let us pray. O oh Lord, the characters of the two sisters we studied today are central to our faith. Therefore, we pray that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. Amen. Life calls us to make choices. Choices about school and colleges, about ourselves and our children. What to study. Choices about career, who and when to marry, what is the right family size, when to retire, etc. It suffices to say to live is to make choices, to make decisions, to choose. But no choosing can be compared with the choosing to be a Christian. To choose to follow Jesus Christ. No choice bigger. No choice more important. To choose to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, is ultimate and transcendent. No choice bigger than to choose to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. Is there a more important declaration of choice? And ultimately, the declaration of faith in the Bible 
than that which Joshua made when he said, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. In our passage today, the Lord's statement that Mary has chosen the good portion applies to all Christians. Brothers and sisters, this is what I want to say to us all today. We have chosen the good portion in life. Like Mary, choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus is without equal. Above all, praise God who chose us first and promise that it will not be taken away from us. And because Christians have chosen the one necessary thing in life, that one necessary portion in life, Christians might be encouraged and encouraged and encouraged. My last seminary course, Biblical Counseling, defines a church as a community of counselors. This is because Christians encourage, comfort, and inspire one another. The absolute need for Christians to encourage one another makes the book of Hebrews one of the most practical books of Christian ethics. The book of Hebrew teaches us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10.24. Here is my encouragement today and my main point. Let us give Christ our all in all. Let us give the Son of God our most precious. Let us give him everything. We live in a world engulfed by forces competing for our attention and affection. A world of distracting powers pulling us from the Lord our God. It is not unlike a world that so troubled Moses, when Israel was about to enter the promised land. So Moses warned Israel, according to Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15, saying, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. 
It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him, you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroys you from the face of the earth. Our text today is in praise of the Lord whose grace enables us to choose that one good portion in life in spite of all the forces that try to ruin us. According to the text, Jesus and his, his disciples were visiting Martha, Martha's home. Martha's sister Mary sits at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. But Mary wanted Mary, uh, Martha wanted Mary to join her to serve their guest. But Mary wouldn't. Therefore, Martha asked Jesus, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me alone. Tell her then to help me. Jesus responds to Mary saying, Martha, uh, to Martha saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The most important sentences in this passage are the Lord's response to Martha's request. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. These two sentences are central to our faith. So let us focus on the parts that say, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. What is the one thing that is necessary? The one thing that is necessary is to sit at Jesus' feet to hear his word, his teaching. But first, let us start with Martha. She said to the Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Let us see this statement in life of the person spoken to. A biblical systematic, a biblical systematic approach will enlighten us as to the gravity of Martha's attitude towards the law. In John 14, 7 to 11, Jesus said, If you have known me, you have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to Jesus, 
law. Show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In John 10:30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And even more important verses, Zechariah 12:10. God says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and, and pleas for, for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one moon for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weep for over a firstborn. Let us note the rather peculiar when they look on me, on him, and that's not a title. When they look on me, on him, whom they have pierced. Who was pierced on the cross? It was Jesus. But here God the Father is saying, when they look on me, on him, whom they have pierced. We must not miss that. And also, when the Jews wanted to treat God different from Jesus, Jesus says, no. In John 8, 41, it is written, the Jews said, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if you, if you were your father, or if God were your father, you who love me. With this background, let us see how our forefathers let us see our forefathers' attitude in the presence, in the divine presence of God in the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, it is written, Moses said to the Lord, Please show me your grace, your glory. And the Lord said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will, be, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. He further said, 
but you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put my I will put you in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In Genesis 17, 1-5, Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I may make my covenant with you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. In Ezekiel 1.28, the prophet saw the glory of the Lord. He said it was like the appearance of a bowl that was in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. The prophet Habakkuk writes, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashing from his hand. And there he viewed his power. I heard, I hear, and my body tremble. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enter into my bones. My legs tremble beneath, beneath me. Back in Exodus 19, the Lord instructed Moses to tell Israel to, Israel to consecrate themselves. And he will come to meet them on Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now the mount, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended it on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai toward the top of the mountain. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. So then in Exodus 20 we read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashing of light and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, Speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. The Lord speaks to Job in Job 40, starting from verse 2. The Lord says, Shall a forefather contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of a small account. Why shall I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? And Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in arches. Isaiah 6. In the year came Hosea died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to the other and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is man, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, what do these scriptures teach us about people's attitude in the divine presence of God? They cry, let not God speak to us lest we die. They fall on their faces Rottenness entered their bones, and they cry, Woe is me, for I am undone. Brothers and sisters, people don't talk back to God. We must remember Job for this. Now, we can then imagine. The gravity of matter telling Jesus what to do. What does God the Father say about his son? He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
listen to him. But like Martha, we tend to say Jesus must listen to us even more consequentially. People have said some of the most cruel things to the Lord our to the Lord our Christ. The question that follows is this. Why did God permit Jesus to endure such humiliation? God has always protected his people. He did not allow King Abimelech to take Abraham's wife Sarah for him. God did not allow Laban to harm Jacob. God killed Nabal for wronging David grievously. God did not permit Balaam to curse Israel. But God did not prevent or protect his son from humiliation. Why? Brothers and sisters, if you have a life verse, please add to it that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This is the refrain of the Bible. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, that will be done. It was the will of the Father to crush him. Matthew 26, 47 to 56, narrates the betrayal and the rest of Jesus. It says, when Simon, during the arrest, when Simon Peter cut off the ears of Marcus, this is what the Lord said to him. He said, do you think that I cannot appeal to the Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out as, have you come out as against a robber with souls and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophet will be fulfilled. Therefore, the apostle Paul writes, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you receive and in which you and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance that which I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The key verse about the fulfillment of the scriptures is John 13, 19, in which Jesus says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus died to fulfill the scriptures. But there is yet another fulfillment of the scriptures. In Luke 23, as Jesus was being led to the cross, it is written, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and lay on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never build, that never bore and breast that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountain, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Therefore, Revelation 6, 15 to 17 says, the kings of the earth, the day is coming that the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain, calling on the mountain and rock, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the land. For the great day of wrath has come. And who can stand? Brothers and sisters. Truly no one sees the face of God and lives. No one sees the face of God and lives. The day is coming. When people will hide their faces from the face of the Lord. Do we believe that the scriptures will be fulfilled? Believe we must. And if we have difficulties believing that the scriptures will be fulfilled, we must pray that the Lord helps our own belief. This is not to her defense. But matter must be understood in two ways. 
before matter before the Pentecost and matter after the Pentecost. This is important because of what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall speak, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he, and he will show you things to come. This is in John 16, 12 to 14. But even before the Pentecost, Martha and Mary, despite their difference, have begun to utter the exact words to the Lord. When the Lord visited after uh, Lazarus' death, Martha said to him, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it, God will give you. John 11:32 Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet saying to him Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died exact words but the Lord's response to Mary is different from his response to Martha to Martha, the Lord said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to all, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? Martha said to him, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But for Mary, it is written in John 11:33 to 36, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Brothers and sisters, yes, we believe. But the attitude of the attitude of a believer matters before the law. A believer must be a Mary before the law at the feet of Jesus Christ. 
The key difference between Mary and Martha is this. Martha is in Jesus' face. Mary is at Jesus' feet. Mary humbles herself at Jesus' feet. The book of James said, Be wretched and moan and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. James 4, 9 to 10. Our Lord said, Martha was anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is the one necessary thing, again, I may ask? The one necessary thing is Christ. Christ is the one necessary thing. We must remember Matthew 4, 4 and Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Who is the word? Christ is the word. The gospel of John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And then John 1.14 finally said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, let us remember what the Lord our God says. This is my Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Matthew 17, 5. As Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him, nothing matters. She is undone. It must be, it must have been to her as when Isaiah saw the Lord and cried, Woe is man, for I am undone. Because I am of a clean lip, I am of unclean clean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Son of the Lord of hosts. Peter fell at Jesus' knees, crying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke 5, 8. Brothers and sisters, we must become undone when we see Jesus. 
Others are not so fortunate. They are a fulfillment of Isaiah 6.10 and Matthew 13.6 that says, Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with, with their ears. Excuse me, please. And hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. Therefore, Christians must always pray that the Lord does not make our hearts dull or our ears heavy or our eyes blind to Christ. We must be undone when we see Jesus Christ. Here is what even more significant about Mary. In Luke 7, 38 to 39, it is written, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a, a, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ornament. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, Mary began to wet his feet with her tears and wept them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Going back to verse 38, Mary is standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet, to wet his feet with her hair, with her tears, and wiped them with her hair and kissed their feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Brothers and sisters, Mary gave her glory to the Son of God. Mary gave her glory to Jesus the Christ. What is a woman's glory according to the Bible? According to 1 Corinthians 11:15, a woman's glory is her hair. Paul writes, but if a woman has a long hair, it is her glory. 
for her hair is given to her for a covering. Mary could have used a part of her clothing to anoint Jesus with the expensive ointment. But she purposely chose to use her hair to demonstrate giving to Christ that which is most precious to her, her hair, which is her glory. There are many, many sermons about Mary anointing the Lord with an expensive alabaster or ointment or perfume. The point that is stated again and again is the cost of the perfume. It is expensive. Yes, it is. But the point that is overlooked and missed is what it means that Mary chose to use her hair to anoint Jesus with the perfume. And when her head is mentioned, it is taken out of proper context and mischaracterized for erotic innuendos. This is wrong. Brothers and sisters, stated accurately, correctly, and biblically, Mary gave her glory to Jesus. Not Mary glorified Jesus. Not Mary gave glory to Jesus. These are all good descriptions of what Mary did. But as to the degree, as to the degree of faith, Mary gave her glory to Jesus. This is Matthew's account, written in Matthew 26, verse 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his hair as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, What is, what, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for men, to men. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have men. In so pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Or she has to prepare me for burial. Truly, I said to you, wherever this gospel is proclaiming the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The Lord's statement that truly, I said to you, wherever this gospel is 
proclaim in the whole world what Mary has done will also be told in her, mer- in her memory. This is a final judgment. It is a biblical doctrine. In an article entitled, Who Was Mary Magdalene? The Smithsonian argues, the Smithsonian argues that the whole of the Western civilization, the whole of Western civilization is epitomized in the court of Mary Magdalene. For many centuries, the most obsessively revered saint, this woman became the embodiment of Christian devotion, which was defined as repentance. The word I question in this claim is the word court. The Bible does not teach that. However, the Smithsonian is right that Mary is the embodiment of Christian devotion. Mary's devotion to Christ was total. Using her head to anoint Jesus' feet was giving the glo- her glory to Christ. Using her tears, not water, to, to wipe Jesus' feet symbolized or symbolizes ultimate repentance. Kissing Jesus' feet demonstrates our ultimate love. The most expensive alabaster bottle proved that to her, her Savior deserved the most precious ointment in the whole world. Mary was the first to witness Jesus' resurrection because she wouldn't leave Jesus' grave. Jesus appeared to her first. He called her name Mary. What did she cry? Rabona, many master. The next thing we hear is the Lord telling her, do not cling to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father and your Father. To my God and to your God, let us picture this, brothers and sisters. Mary witnessed Jesus died on the cross and buried. Therefore, Mary should have been afraid when Jesus appeared to her alone. Run, Mary, run. Run for your life. You are alone with a ghost. One person who say. But she wanted to cling to Jesus. By all means, by all accounts, Mary did not have her own life when it came to Jesus. She was among the women who did not leave Jesus in his last hour, risking her life even when the disciples fled. Now the question is this. Does the Bible encourage such a degree of devotion? 
Does the Bible encourage us to give our all and all to Jesus? Does the Bible teach us to see what God has done for us in Christ? And in so teaching, taught us about the kingdom of God. Let us begin with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he was made, he made him sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his love to us for what of let me get this right. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Then Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count himself, did, uh, did not count equal, Quality with God a thing to be grabbed, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being in the form of him of form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians 3, Paul writes this. He said, we are, the, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
But whatever gain I had, I count at loss down for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count everything as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In Matthew, Jesus told this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone who come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever who save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? In Mark, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. In Matthew 10, he also said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not wealthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not wealthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man finds and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Together, these scriptures encourage us to be totally and ultimately devoted to Jesus. This is the true value of our life, total devotion Christ. But to those who do not have Christ, therefore do not have eternal life, here is what the Bible says. Starting with James, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what you will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time 
and then vanishes away. This is James 4.13. Job says, my life is but a breath. Job 7.7. My days vanishes, my days vanish like smoke, and my bones burn like glowing amber. Psalm 102. Man is like a breath. His days are passing shadow, like a passing shadow. Psalm 144, verse 4. Isaiah confesses, a voice says cry. And I said, why should I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are at grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Therefore, Psalm 90:12 concludes us to say, So teach us us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord our God so teach us to number our days and to give our glory to Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, like Mary, you chose us to inherit one necessary thing. Lord, we pray to be undone before you, to sit at your feet like Mary. We pray to give you our glory. We pray for complete devotion to you. This is our good. And this is your glory. In your son's name we pray, amen.